0: Well, as you can see from the screen, we're in a series called Songs of Advent. If you were here last week, we looked at Mary's song, and uh, this week we're looking at Zechariah's song, and Don Howarder is going to read that for us this morning. Let's prepare our hearts to receive this.
1: Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, can you believe it's only 17 more days till Christmas? Uh, as I've uh, grown up, become an adult, uh, it seems like Christmas gets here so fast. But isn't it the complete opposite when we were kids? Uh, I remember we were one of those families that had one of those Advent calendars with a piece of chocolate in it. And while the chocolate was great, I kept looking at the calendar and going, Oh my goodness, I have to do how many more of these before Christmas? The wait was just excruciating. I have a quick quiz question for you. Uh, how many of you were the type of kids that would go around looking for the, your parents' presents that they were going to give to you? Be honest. Raise your hand. Were you one of those? Oh, wow, a lot of you. How many of you actually found them? And now for you really naughty people, how many of you actually got them out and played with them? Be- yes. Look at that. Why? Because waiting for Christmas is hard as kids, isn't it? It seems like it'll never get here. But this morning in our series, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, we're going to look at a person who didn't just have to wait 17 days. He, along with others, had been waiting for over 2,000 years for Christmas. And he wasn't waiting for Santa Claus. He wasn't waiting for presents. He was waiting for the long expected and promised Messiah who would come and deliver the people of Israel. His name is Zechariah. In case you missed last week, we are in a series, four-week series leading up to Christmas called Songs of Advent, where we're looking at four songs that Luke records in his gospel based on Christ's advent. Advent, as we learned last week, is really not a complicated word, it just means arrival. Songs of Christ's first arrival. Now we believe there will be a second advent, Christ is going to return, but these songs are sung in the gospel of Luke based on Christ's arrival first arrival and here's what we're discovering in this series if you're on your notes jesus arrival his advent if you will calls for a response when jesus came it demanded a response and these four songs show us some of the response and by looking at these songs we're asking the question what will mine be What will mine be? We get to see what the response of these four songs are. But what's my response going to be? And last week, if you weren't here, you missed a great message Jeff gave on Mary's song. And we discovered how Mary's response to Jesus coming, and she had a pretty big role in that, was one of hunger and humility. And he asked us the question, are we going to have that same response this Christmas? Will we pursue God with hunger hearts? And will our attitude be one of humility as we enter into this Christmas season? And so we come to Zachariah's song this morning. We're going to see his response to Jesus coming. And of course, we want to ask the same question. Is my response going to be similar to his this Christmas? Now, Zechariah's song is found in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. You can start turning to Luke. However, I have to warn you. Before we can actually look at the song that Don just read, we have to understand Zechariah's story. And in order to understand Zechariah's story, I need you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5, if you're still getting used to where things are in your Bible, Luke's about three-quarters of the way back, chapter 1, right there in the beginning. If you didn't bring a Bible, we always encourage you to take one of the black Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you as our gift to you, and you can find this on page 714. Now, I might be dating myself a little bit right, right now, but how many of you remember the show on VH1 called Behind the Music? Be honest. Yeah, Behind the Music. It was basically a show that would look behind the scenes at some of the musicians of the day who were coming out uh, with various songs. It may be still on, for all I know. I don't don't know uh, for sure, but it would get the backstory, really, before the songs came out. Who are these artists? Who were they? And we want to get... Zachariah's backstory this morning. So that's why we're going all the way back to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And I'll just tell you, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture together this morning, but here's the way I view it, better God's words than my words. Uh, so that's what uh, we're going to do, but it's a great, fun story. I think you're going to see, and then we get to come to this song. So before we do that, I, I've just come more and more to realize that we could waste our time this morning for 40 minutes unless God is the one who is working in our midst. So we, can we just pray that he would do that? Lord, I am so painfully aware of my weaknesses. And yet you are a God who wants to speak to your people. So we invite you to do that very thing right now. We pray your word will be living and active, moving among us. That we would open our hearts and our minds. That the message you've laid on my heart would be a message you lay on the hearts of your people, your church. We give you this time. We offer ourselves to you. And we pray that you would do a work in our midst. Only you can do that. Amen. Now just to give a little context, when Luke wrote his gospel, along with the other gospel writers, over 400 years had passed since the people of Israel had heard any message from God. 400 years of silence. I mean, can you imagine that? No Bible, no preaching, just 400 years of silence. And so what happens if you study the history of Israel is that there were many people during this time, the silent years of 400 years, who had lost their hope in the Lord. They had turned from following God. They thought, he's left us, he's abandoned us. Why would it be worth following him anymore? However, there were still some who held out hope. There were still some who were faithful to his promises, and we're going to meet a couple who fall into that latter category, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look at their story starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So basically, we got some PKs here, right? Priest kids. Generation after generation, they had grown up in priestly families. Zechariah's name was a common priest name. It meant, the Lord has remembered. And in this story, that is going to prove dramatically true. Elizabeth was also of priestly descent, straight from Aaron's line. Now, again, just understanding the story here, there were probably about 8,000 priests during this time serving in Palestine. Isn't that incredible? And so what would happen is they got broken up into different divisions, and maybe one or two weeks out of the year, they would actually be serving uh, at the temple as those priests. And that's where we're going to find later on in the story, which is exactly what's happening with Zechariah. It was his turn to serve among the priests of the temple. But before we get there, let's read verse 6 out loud together on our notes. Let's learn a little bit about this couple. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, we've learned in the past that does not mean they were sinless. It doesn't mean they were sinless. It's a way of saying that they conformed their lives around God's law. They made God's law and upholding God's law the thing that they based their whole lives. And they were faithful in doing that. Indeed, if you're following there, they were faithful. These were faithful people. Believing God would keep His Promise. Believing God would keep his promise. Now, I've said the word promise quite a bit already this morning, and maybe you're wondering what promise would they possibly be holding out hope for? What are they being faithful to? And really the main promise that the people of Israel held out to, there was a couple of them, but the main was was the one God had given Abraham over 2,000 years before Zechariah came on the scene from Genesis chapter 12. You remember if you were here for the series on Abraham, we talked about this, but let's look at this promise God made to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So far, so good. I mean, he did make Israel into a, a great nation, didn't he? he? He blessed Abraham. I will make your name great. Well, we still know his name 4,000 years later, so that one's good too. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse you. You can see that play itself out, in the, especially in the first five books of the Old Testament. But then there's this, this one. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, three out of four ain't bad. Because by this time, I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't seeing the fruit of that, that all peoples on earth were going to be blessed through Abraham. And yet, they believed that would still be fulfilled. They held on to the promise that God had given to Abraham 2,000 years later. These are faithful people. Let me ask the question, how's their faithfulness working out for them, you think? Verse six, 7, they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. There they are, day after day, faithfully believing God is going to fulfill his promises. And yet, God has left them without children. It's not working out so good for them. Now today, um, infertility is still a real thing, a very painful thing. We have walked through different seasons with friends who have gone through that difficult, hard path. But you have to understand, in this day and age, it was even more than that. It was considered a disgrace for a woman not to be able to have a child. Because, of course, it was always the woman's fault at this time. In fact, many would teach that the reason a woman could not have a child during this time is because God was punishing them for some act of unrighteousness. It was God's way of cursing. But we see right here, that is simply not true, right? That is not how God works. We have faithful, righteous people in God's eyes. Certainly, they had prayed the prayers of wanting to have a child, but season after season, God had said no, and that didn't stop them from being faithful to him. They still held on to the promises he had made. Verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So again, one or two weeks out of the year, he would have worked at the temple. This is one of those times he's chosen by lot to be the one who goes in to offer incense. And when the time for burning the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, we can't really understand what an honor this would have been for Zechariah. This would have been the highlight of his priestly career. There were many priests who never even got the opportunity once to do that, and no priest could do this more than once. So think about this. He's been his priest his whole life. This is the day he's really been looking forward to, the day he gets to go into the temple and offer incense and prayer to the Lord. It'd be like one of us being asked to pray at the inauguration of the president or something, right? I mean, this is, he's been waiting for this. So Zechariah goes in. We read there that those faithful remnant, those who still held out hope that God will fulfill his promises, they're praying outside as he goes in. And this incredible moment becomes even more incredible. Look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now later we discover this angel of the Lord is none other than Gabriel who had appeared to Daniel over 500 years earlier in Babylon. Now, I'm not sure what you think about angels. There's a lot about angels in our culture uh, today, but if you've read the Bible enough, what is the standard response of a human being when they encounter an angel? Fear. And this is no different. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This isn't some little cherub with his wings, with a bow and a heart, arrow and all that stuff. This is Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, and this priest is gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and how, don't you think the angels kind of got sick of saying this? (laughs) Don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The reason conversations with angels always start with do not be afraid is why? Because angels are kind of scary even when they're trying not to be scary in this case. So what I hear today, people talk about, you know, well, I i not be careful here, but like I, I had this encounter with this angel or I saw this great light and so forth. And, I, you know, I just kind of want to ask, well, was it a Bible angel? Were you on the deck? Were you in fear? Because even when they're not meaning to be scary, they're scary. I love how one pastor said, people say this to me all the time. I want God to speak to me. And I ask them, are you sure? I mean Zechariah was afraid and he's a good man. Imagine if it was you. It's a great line. <laughs> Regardless, I don't want to get on a message on angels here. Uh, I think we're going to do that in week 4. Just as he had done 500 years earlier with Daniel, Gabriel arrives telling Zechariah his prayer has been heard. Now there's some debate actually about what prayer. We would assume it's the prayer that he and Elizabeth have been praying for year after year, right? For child. However, part of what the priest's duty would have been on this day when they went to go offer incense was to pray for the messianic redemption of Israel. That's what they did day after day. Lord, send your Savior. Send your promised one. Now here's what's cool. It doesn't really matter which prayer Gabriel's talking about, does it? Because they're going to be connected. They're going to be connected. If you're following on your notes, God will answer both the prayer for a child and the prayer for a Messiah. He'll answer two prayers in one. Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child, and you are to name him John, which means God has been gracious, and what a fitting name for what's about to come. He has been gracious in their life, and He is about to be gracious to the promise He made to the people of Israel. Verse 14 He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before He is born. This is unprecedented. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, this long prayed for son is going to play a major role in the redemption of Israel, in the return, in the coming of Messiah. He is going to bring people back. Remember we talked about how some had left They were were hopeless. They thought God had abandoned them. This son is going to have a role in bringing some of those people back and pointing them to the reality that God fulfills his promises and he's doing it this day and this time in the sending of Messiah. Waiting is over. The waiting is over. God has burst into the scene, and Zechariah is going to play a key part in all of it. The Lord has declared it. Now, don't look at the Bible, because right now, would you not assume this is where the song of Zechariah is going to burst forth from his lips? I mean, can you imagine? The good news, his heart must just be filled with joy and gratitude. So we're going to get to that song right now, except it says in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is, and you got to love this. Talk about a diplomatic husband. Well along in years. (laughs) That's great. If you're following there, Zachariah doesn't respond in a song of faith. That's what I would expect, right? No. He doubts. He doubts. He's like, listen, Gabe, we've been praying in our 20s, 30s, 40s. We gave up in our 50s. You expect me to believe this? You really expect me to believe this? Some people have said, how is this different from Mary? Well, Mary didn't doubt that it was going to happen. She just didn't know how it would happen because she was a virgin. is doubting the fact that it's even going to happen. You see that in Zachariah's response to him later uh, in this story. Now, if you think about it, of anyone who shouldn't have doubted, it would be Zachariah, Right? I mean, he would have known the scriptures from front to back. He would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah and how in their old age, God blessed them with Isaac. And forget all that, here he is on the greatest day of his life in the temple of the Lord where God's presence is set to dwell. God has sent an angel of the Lord to come and speak to him, and yet he still doubts. And he asks, how's this going to be? How's this going to be? And he... He's asking for a sign, right? And I love these next words Gabriel says him in verses 19 and 20. The angel said to him, and I, I don't know, a little creative imagination right here. I don't know what you would picture Gabriel's face to be like right now, but I just think it's like dumbfounded, right? I'm Gabriel. Like, do you know who I am? I stand in the presence of God. I have come, I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And he basically goes on to say, you want a sign? This is going to happen, here you go. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, you want a sign? You're not going to speak for the next nine months. Some have wondered what the greater miracle here is, right? Elizabeth having a baby in her old age or a preacher not speaking for nine months. I'll leave that up to you. The section finishes. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home and this, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now skip ahead, if you're still there, to verse 57. Luke 1, verse 57. We're still behind the music here. Still setting up his song. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, which would have been the custom, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No! He's to be called John. Now, again, in our culture, we don't really see the significance of this, but it would have been assumed. I mean, it was assumed, as you can tell, that sons were named after their fathers or their grandfathers, and so they're just thinking it's going to be Big Zeke and Little Zeke. No question about it. But mom pipes up and says, no, his name's going to be John. And I don't know how seriously they take her, because in verse 61 it says, they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. What are you talking about? Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Love that. This original disbelief in Gabriel's proclamation is replaced with faith, right? He doggedly insists, No! This is going to be my son's name. God said so. Verse 64. Immediately... His mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And we're going to get to hear the words to that. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The last words out of Zechariah's mouth had been words of doubt, but the very first words when his tongue is loosed again Our words of praise to God. If you're following there, while well, his last words were of doubt, his first words were of praise, and finally we come to Zachariah's song. Isn't that a great story setting that up though? Great story. This song that we come to has traditionally been called the Benedictus. How many of you have heard that, that phrase before, the Benedictus? It's Latin, just taken from the very first words of the song, uh, which is praise be to the Lord. And it's a fitting title for this song because this song is all about praising god for his promised fulfillment of sending messiah for the promises god keeps Zechariah's mouth is open and he praises the lord the god of israel for being a covenant keeping god now Just like Mary's song, if you were here last week, there's all kinds of allusions in this song to the Old Testament. And I just pause here and say why that's significant. Because we have to be careful not to separate the Old and the New Testament. It's all God's story. And Zechariah, the priest of the temple, understands... Right now, right here, in this moment of time, God is fulfilling the promises He had given the people 2,000 years ago. This is a continuation of God's story. He has interrupted human history and is sending a Savior, a Messiah. And He sings about that. Let's look at His song again. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Let's read verse 68 together on our notes. Praise be to the Lord. The God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I'll continue. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, as I'm reading this, I forgot to mention, just pay attention. What do you notice about what he's he's singing about? As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun, the dayspring, some of your translations say, will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the path of peace. What a song. What words to be the first words coming out of your mouth after nine months of silence, huh? I noticed four things. I know there's a lot more, but I want to talk about four things I noticed from this song uh, this week that Zachariah specifically mentions, and you can follow on your notes here. Number one, I noticed it's about Christ's arrival, his advent. It's all about Christ's arrival. Christ's arrival secures our salvation. I mean, this song is all about salvation, right? You see it over and over and over again. Right there in the beginning, it says, He has come to us. He has come to us. That word literally means He has visited us personally. It's used other places in Scripture to describe someone who might be sick. And they need someone to come and visit them personally in order to provide the solution. And that's exactly what we have in Christmas, isn't it? God didn't just come to earth to see how we're doing. Hey, how y'all doing? No, he came because he saw us in our sin-sick state and knew he was the only one who could provide us with the solution we needed. He was the only one that could provide us with the solution that we needed literally this word come means to tent upon to tabernacle among to dwell among us in order to provide us the solution one of my favorite things about this song is how rich Zechariah makes this word salvation. You know, we use this word salvation today, and I don't know what you think of, but I think generally the church in America thinks of salvation as getting a ticket out of hell because I prayed some prayer when I was seven. There's so much more. There's so much more to this word salvation. There's so much involved in it. Zechariah mentions just a few of those things. In salvation, we have redemption, he said in verse 68. We're redeemed. Redeemed means to be bought back with a price. It's saying we were in slavery and we needed somebody to buy us back from that. It's the same thing God did with the nation of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt, right? He redeemed them. He brought them out of their slavery, gave them freedom, and Zechariah is singing, that's what Christ is going to do. He is going to buy us back from our bondage. Our bondage to what? Sin. Death. Death. He will redeem us. He will set us free. Only God, Christ, who came in flesh. Emmanuel, that's what we sing. Emmanuel, God in flesh, could provide us that kind of redemption. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 1.7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I love that last part. That He lavished on us. As the grace of God been lavished upon you have you been redeemed that's all part of zechariah's song it's the song of salvation second way zechariah describes salvation is found in verse 69 he says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us and that word Horn is really what I was drawn to. It's not talking about the trumpets that we uh, heard playing for us today. It's, it's a reference, and you can see this throughout the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament, to the horns of a strong, powerful animal. It was always used to describe something of power and victory. In fact, I'm almost positive when Zechariah was saying this, this is the image he had in mind. <laughs> Alright, maybe not this year. <clears throat> Okay, baby, not ever. And you know I'm joking. But really the picture is clear, right? There is power. There is strength in the coming of Christ. So much strength and power. It leads to the third way he talks about our salvation, which is found in verse 74. He rescues us, it says, from the hand of our enemies. This incarnate god emmanuel has come to rescue us from our enemy our greatest enemy satan and his tool is death we are in bondage to death and yet we sing these songs these words to these, this song from first corinthians 15 sometimes as a church don't we we can sing as redeemed bought back with a priced people oh death where is your sting oh hell Where is your victory? And Paul writes after that, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the horn of salvation. And in his power, in his blood, he has made a way for us to have access to God. Whatever we have done, whoever we are, no matter how heinous our sin. And listen, if you were just here for that Ten Commandments series, we've all fallen short. We have all fallen short. Of God's standard, but whoever we are, wherever we find ourselves, Christ is the horn of salvation, and when we trust in Him, He will make a way possible. He has made a way possible. It's what we celebrate in the cross. Finally, but not least, He talks about the result of this salvation forgiveness. Do you know it? Forgiveness, the cleansing, the freedom, verse 77 to give His people the knowledge of salvation the forgiveness of their sins. I love the fact that God used a priest. A priest who witnessed day after day other priests, the high priest going into the temple, offering for himself a sacrifice, and then offering another sacrifice day after day after day for the forgiveness of sins, knowing that that would have to go on and on and on and on until God did some sort of incredible work. And God did some sort of incredible work in Christ, didn't he? We read these words in Hebrews 7. Unlike the other high priests, the ones that Zechariah would have watched his whole life, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. No, no, no. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself salvation. In Christ alone, through faith alone, because of the cross alone. That's what Zechariah sings about at this Advent. He knows it's coming. Do you know it? Second thing that stands out to me in this song is that Christ's arrival fulfills God's promises. It fulfills God's promises. He cannot, Zechariah cannot get over the fact. You know, they've been waiting 2,000 years. He cannot get over the fact that in Christ, God is now fulfilling the promises he had given the people he can't get over the fact he mentioned specifically two of the promises, one he made to David and one he made to Abraham. Did you see them in there? In 2 Samuel 7, God promised David that he would establish his throne forever, an everlasting kingdom. Now, for a while, that looked like it was going pretty well, right? You got the nation of Israel, they were booming, Solomon, well, then it didn't go so well, the kingdom kind of split. Well, by this time, there is no nation of Israel, really. They're occupied by Rome. There is no king from David's line sitting on the throne. It's a Roman Empire ruling them. So what's going on? How could God possibly fulfill this covenant? Zechariah understands. The horn of salvation has come. And he comes from the line of David. In fact, if you still have your Bible open there, it's very important. In Luke 1.27, we're told Mary Mary would be married to who? Joseph. And Joseph is from the descendant of Here's what the people that couldn't get, is that Jesus' kingdom was going to be a little bit of a different kingdom than what they had hoped or imagined, right? It wasn't going to be like David's kingdom. And yet, as Christians, if you are in Christ here on Christmas, we celebrate the fact that he is still reigning as king today. Amen? He still sits on the throne of David. That's why we can say with Paul, would you read these words out loud with me up on the screen? First Timothy Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Not only does he fulfill David's covenant, he fulfills the covenant he made to Abraham, the one we already talked about, right? How are all nations really going to be blessed? How will Abraham's descendants be as numerous as the stars in the sky? If you are here in our series in Galatians, you know how. You are in Christ. You are a child of Abraham. You are part of the fulfillment of this scripture. You are the promise God gave to Abraham. We are his children. We are his descendants. And truly, we are as numerous as the stars of the sky. God is a God who keeps his promises. Some scholars have shown that over 300 Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled with the advent, the arrival of Christ. And Zechariah just mentions a couple of them, but the point is clear. Don't give up. Hope. Don't give up the faith. God will be faithful in fulfilling his promises. Number three, Zechariah sings about Christ's arrival gives us a purpose. Christ's arrival gives us a purpose. Again, this goes back to understanding what salvation is and what it isn't. It isn't a ticket, so we now sit here on church for an hour and 15 minutes, you know, checking this off of our list. Salvation always is going to transform us, right? It's always going to move us outward. It's always going to move us, as it said here in verses, I think it was uh, 74 and 75, into holiness, into righteousness, into Christ-likeness. It always, always, always leads us into becoming more like Christ. And when we're transformed in that way, we're going to live like He lived. And how did Jesus live? The Son of Man came not to be served, But to serve, and as God's people, that's our purpose. We are given a purpose to serve, to offer our lives back to him out of gratitude and love. We follow Jesus' example. And what a great example it was. Zechariah understands salvation is always going to lead to a response of offering our lives back to him. But here's what I love, he said, it's not out of fear anymore. Are you giving your life to God out of fear? No, no, no. We have no fear if we are in Christ. We offer ourselves out of confidence now, out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, out of joy for what He has done for us. It's our pleasure, if you will, to give Christ our lives. It's why Paul says in Romans 12.1, this is to be our lives. Let's read it out loud on our notes. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, salvation doesn't just deliver you. It infuses you with purpose in life. Transformation, holiness, righteousness. Giving yourself away. Fourth thing Zacharias sings about is that Christ's arrival will be prepared by John. He's pretty stoked about that. Two verses to it, he sings joyfully about his son and he says he's going to be a prophet of the Most High. He will prepare the way of the Lord and he will preach forgiveness. Now, if you were here in our series on John's Gospel two years ago and we looked at John the Baptist's life, did he do those things? He did them well. His whole life was about making himself second and making Christ first, right? He was all about pointing others to Christ. He was a prophet who prepared the way for people. His message was one of repentance, turn. You know, he's talking to these people who had lost hope, who were no longer faithful, saying to them, no, turn back to the Lord. He is faithful in fulfilling his covenant promises, and he did that well. And when Jesus burst onto the seam, he says, behold stop looking at me, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John was all about being second, not first. Pointing people, preparing people for the coming of Christ. Now, I got to say something here. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but John's call was absolutely, absolutely unique for his life, right? I mean, God had set him apart for a unique purpose, preparing people for the first advent of Christ. However, Has the church been giving a similar call to prepare people for the second advent of Christ? I mean, advent again just means arrival. Christ has come. We celebrate that at Christmas. But we also remember there's going to be a day when he comes again. And God has called us as his people. Just like he did John the Baptist. Uniquely for him, but for all of us who are in Christ to prepare the way. Prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus. So as we close, let me ask four questions in relation to these four uh, things I noted. Number one, make this personal. Do I know His salvation? You might want to capitalize, circle, underline that word, no. Because I'm not talking about, do you know about Jesus? Did you learn all the Sunday school lessons when you were a kid, when your parents forced you to go to church? Do you know... Scripture, have you memorized the Bible? Do you know how to pray the right things when you're with other people? Uh, I'm not talking about whether you know about God. I'm talking about, in the same way that Zechariah used the word, has he made his tent in your life? Has he tabernacled in you? Have you been born again, John says. Have you been born again, renewed by the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you and pushes you towards transformation? Transformation into Christ's likeness. Do you know? Do you know the Lord? If you don't, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's why every Sunday we have people up front here. Don't go another day without asking the questions you need to ask. Let us talk to you. Let us pray with you. Let us talk to you about this amazing gift. Isn't Christmas about gifts? And the greatest gift we have been given is that we can know personally the Lord of the universe. Do you know him? Do you know him? Number two, will I, oops, yeah, will I trust God to fulfill his promises in my life? Pastor Brian already talked about it, but Christmas can be a kind of a painful time for many when we, we know that. A lot of times, you know, it, we're, we're grieving or we're missing people. And I think, if we're honest, there's always going to be seasons in our lives when, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we ask the question, does God even care about me right now? Where's God? And if Zechariah and Elizabeth's story teach us anything, is that the answer to that is a resounding yes. He cares. Even in the silent years, even in the prayer that is answered no, God cares because he is faithful and he is going to fulfill His promises in your life. I believe some of you are here this morning simply to hear this right now. Don't give up. Your faith is not in vain. Your hope is not in vain. God is a God who fulfills promises. Amen? It might take 2,000 years, but He fulfills His promises. I love how this famous verse gets misquoted sometimes. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, this is a promise God gives us, right? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now what that does not say is that all things are going to be good. We will face persecution, Jesus said. We will have barrenness in marriages like Zechariah and Elizabeth. We'll have disease, sickness, Pain, heartache, and yet, can we trust that even in those things God is working for our good? He will fulfill His promise in our lives no matter what. Believe it. Trust it. Hope in it this Christmas. He is faithful. Third, will I give my whole life to Christ for His purposes? For His purposes. I love Zachariah's story because Luke doesn't paint around the edges, right? This is a guy who doubted. He wasn't perfect. He's not a hero of the faith. I hear Christians say this all the time. What can God possibly do with my life? I said that. And yet those words should never come out of the mouth of someone who has been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Never, ever should we utter that. Why? God loves nothing more than to take ordinary people. People who are a mixture of doubt and half-faith and you know, hanging on to the promises by the skin of our teeth. He loves nothing more than to take those kind of people and use them for his purposes. But here's the key. It's not because we're faithful. It's because he's faithful. Christmas is a time to remember that our God is a God of lavish, self-giving love, and because that's so, we give ourselves back to him. We give ourselves back to Him by pursuing holiness and righteousness and offering our lives in service to Him. If I could add one word to Jeff's message last week on hunger and humility, and we we joke about this, but I think what God is also looking for is wholehearted people. People who are saying, I'm all in. I'm all in, even though I know I'm not perfect, even though I know here are my deficiencies and my weaknesses, I'm all in because I believe it's not based on my faithfulness, it's based on your faithfulness. That you will do a work in me. Are you all in? Last but not least, the fourth question is Will I heed God's call to prepare others for Christ's return? We talked about this already. Will I heed God's call in my life to prepare others for Christ's return? John was dedicated to this, right? Preparing people for the first advent. Today, we live in between the advents. We're waiting. We're waiting, and yet, God has given us a mission. You're going to be sorry when you put away your notes because we're going to read a verse here. I'm just (laughs) warning you. He says, go and make disciples of all nations or read Acts 1-8 out loud on your notes here. Here's Jesus' mission to the church. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my... Where? To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Friends, I hope you're not just anxiously waiting for Christmas to come, but that you're anxiously waiting for Christ to come. Second Advent as well. And as we wait, we heed God's call to prepare others for His second coming. Who are you praying for this Christmas? Parents, are you preparing your children for Christ's return? Grandparents, what role are you having in the lives of your grandkids and your children? Co-workers, friends, are we preparing people by the way we live, by the words we say, by our prayers for them to meet Christ at His second coming? Coming, I asked Chuck and Michelle if we could close this morning by singing a very familiar Christmas song, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." But I want us to sing it with two meanings in mind. You're going to see allusions in this song to Zachariah's song. He's going to talk about the fulfillment of David. We talk about these things, but we sing, "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Yes, to remember His first advent, but in anticipation that God will fulfill his promise. Jesus will return. He will make all things new. So will you stand as we sing these words together?